in together in verse number 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose again it a, tempest, a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. And when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to, the same, to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. Then fearing, lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given to us this account of the shipwreck, this particular shipwreck that Paul was on. And at the same time, you let him know that he and the other men would be safe because you had a purpose to be fulfilled, your perfect plan. Lord, we pray that we would learn from this passage this morning in our study of the book of Acts, that you would rightly apply it to our hearts as is needed, and that you would be glorified through that. And we pray and ask your blessing in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Well, as we say every Lord's Day, so grateful, so thankful. Amen. Now, you guys are going to have me messed up this morning. Gina and Vicky are sitting here. You two are over there. I mean, things are all crossed up here. I'm not sure what's going to happen as I'm looking out. But uh, amen. Good to be together with all of us this morning. Brethren, as we delve into our text this morning, I want to remind you of some holy words that were written by God's ready scribe as to how his glorious creation listens to, amen, and obeys his commands. I want you to hear just for a moment again, as we just sang that song, all glory be to Christ. Everything is glory to him, glory to God the Father, glory to Christ and We see in Scripture, and hear these words. Listen to what Job wrote. He said, God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth, and seeth under the whole heaven. To make the weight, and brethren, this is really important. As you look at Job's text, the sovereignty of God over his creation is quite stunning. That weight literally means numerical force. In other words, miles per hour. In other words, God has deemed and controls even the miles per hour of the wind, brethren, uh, for the winds. And he weigheth the waters by measure. Literally, as you look there, as he's speaking about God, how he made his creation, he's, he's leveled even out the waters, amen? And we see that in the oceans, we see that in the seas, for sure. 
And then he says this, when he made a decree, literally that word literally means appointment by command, for the rain. Talking, I think, Howard earlier this morning, talking about how the fireworks was driving him and Shar insane, and, and it rained. God even commands the rain, brethren. A decree, this is what he does. He speaks it, and it is so. And a way for the lightning of the thunder. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 107. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth, there it is again, there's that word, he maketh a decree, the Bible says, and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. So as we're entering into our text this morning, brethren, we do not believe, and I do not believe, and I pray you do not believe, in any kind of accident, any kind of happenstance, any kind of chance. There are zero uh, of those anywhere in Scripture, or nor they should, should they be in the life of the child of God. He commands even the miles part. In fact, listen to what Luke wrote. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he wrote this in his gospel. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they're filled with water, and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? He asked that question. And being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey. Now, brethren, again, if I can say what I said earlier, we do not believe, and neither do I believe, and neither should you ever believe in just a happenstance happening. Amen? It has been ordained by God himself. Everything is under his purview, if you will. And, of course, as we look at this, as we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts, this is one of the main things that we have seen, again, in Paul's life. And it's such an encouragement, I believe it is to me, for the believer, amen, to read and see what God is doing and understanding that Paul totally and completely believed and trusted in every act of God in his life. And we should, too, brethren, as we look at this, as we continue this, this morning, I want you to see verse 13 as we take up our text, keeping in mind that it is indeed the Lord who waits the wind, the miles per hour. And again, all of this is used for his glory, for his great purposes in the life of Paul and the life of every one of those men, 276 of them who are on this ship that we are in the middle of looking at. Look there at verse number 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing, brother, and the Bible says here, that they obtain their purpose, loosing thence, they sail close by Crete. Luke records here, brother, and for us, and again, we, we think of the utter detail that the Holy Ghost has given him here to give to us down through the ages of time. But he says the wind blew softly. That word softly literally means to breathe gently, which, again, as we see in our text, it seems to affirm the decision, the ill-fated decision, I might say, the ill-advised decision that was made earlier in verses 9 and 10. You remember there, Paul admonished them. He said, hey, we should not leave the port because I, I perceive much, what, hurt and damage. And so these pagans, as we know, brethren, are very superstitious. We are not. Christians should never be superstitious. Pagans are superstitious. And so they looked at these, at this perceived, if you will, gentle south wind is a good omen. <laughs> Therefore, what did they do, brethren? They totally took no heed to Paul's warning, to his godly counseling, if you will, to them. And they pull up the anchors, the Bible says, and they just set sail, keeping in mind, thinking there's some kind of a good omen here because the wind was softly blowing. But we see there in verses 14, 15, and 16, as we read together, that changes suddenly. And again, at, I believe, the command of God. There's a word here that, begin, that we're going to look at for just a moment. Look there, if you would, on verse 14. 
There's that word, but. <laughs> and it's interesting as we're going to look at this again, one of my favorite little words. In fact, it's the, it's the biggest little word in our text this morning. It's a stunning thing. Look what it says. But, not, but, after, but after long, uh, excuse me, but not long after, there arose against a, a tempestuous wind called the Eurocliden. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. Now, that's important. That's an idea there that when, they, when, when the Eurocliden hit, they are completely out of control. They have no control over anything that's taking place. It's a stunning thing. Again, we see the kindness of God here. Look at verse 16. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. Now, Luke begins again, verse 14 with one of my favorite words in Scripture, the biggest little word in the whole narrative, but, B-U-T. But here, as Luke begins this text, is where man's perceived control stops, and God the Father's good means to bring forth his good ends always, as it always does, begins. Again, verse 15, when you look there, let's just read that again. Look what it says, uh, verse number 15. But when the ship was caught and could not bear up into it, the wind, we let her drive. In other words, what happened was this Eurocliden, this wind that was suddenly upon them, they lost complete control of everything. They basically pulled down the sails and the ship's going to go wherever it wants to and there's nothing they can do about it. That's a good place. I mean, there was, there's so many things, practical things here that we could talk about, right? This is a good place for you to be. Amen. This is a good place for you to know that you're under God's care and that things that take place are out of your control. But indeed, brethren, sovereign God is watching over you, carefully loving you and watching everything that goes on. Nothing is out of his purview, out of his stead, if you will. It's interesting as we look at this here together. Just as God commanded the soft, gentle south wind to blow, so too does he here command the tempestuous wind called the Eurocliden. Now, they called it the Eurocliden, brethren, because it was so fierce in its nature. I mean, this is something. This is a hurricane-type wind that's taking place here as Luke is describing it for us. Amen? It was indeed one of the greatest winds that the sailors feared. To be caught up in this thing was, for sure, a death sentence. There's no question about it. In fact, if the ship was caught, which Luke tells us they were caught in it, one of two things would happen. Number one, the Eurocliden would drive them out into the open ocean. Amen. And then the ship, even the ship that they're on, the size of that thing is no comparison for the waves and for what's taking place. For sure, it either gets driven out into the ocean and it's capsized and life is lost. Or number two, we see here the second thing it would do, again, out of their control, would blast them into the greater Sirtis. You ask, what is that? It's otherwise known as the graveyard of ships. The Bermuda Triangle, if you will, of that day, um, off the coast of North Africa. The Eurocliden did indeed, and most often, drove the ships there. And it would reef them there, it would splinter the ships into pieces there, it's a stunning thing when you see that, causing many lives to be lost there. And this is precisely what Luke says they were afraid of happening. They were afraid that this Eurocline was going to drive them in to this place and end all of their lives, literally. Look at verse 17. Luke tells us that in verse 17. And when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship. Now, those ships were wood. So they would have cables that they'd be able to go, you know, stretch across underneath the ship to hold it together as they're going into the storm, into the reef if they thought that. So they'd let down their little skiffs and they'd, they'd get the, 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 the cable underneath the boat to try and hold them together. Now look what he says. Fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strike sail, and so were driven. And literally what that means, as he tells us there, brethren, this quicksands of Sirtis. Think of this for a moment. This is what they're concerned about. Look at verses 18. Look at verse number 18. So again, we see the utter peril that they're in. See, brethren, when I was preaching or when I was, you know, studying for this thing, you know what I thought about here? The type of peril that these men are in. Do you remember back in the dirt? They call them the dirty 30s. You may not remember it. I've seen videos of it. It was a stunning time in America, brethren. Think of this for a moment. For 28 days straight, 
You know what they never saw? The sun. They never saw the sun. Can you imagine old Pastor Mike getting up and saying, guess what's happening? The end is coming. Jesus is coming. That's exactly what they were doing. For 28 days straight, they couldn't see the sun or the stars or the moon. And they literally believed that the judgment of God was just around the corner. We see here in our shipwreck, as it's leading up to the shipwreck, it wasn't quite 28 days. It was half of that. Look what we see there again. How as they're on the ship, they are, as Paul again, we know, right? Paul is trusting in the Lord. He knows the promise that was made. God's holy vow to him. His holy promise. His holy word. Hey, you're going to go to Rome. But just think of it for a moment. Here they are in this Eurocolliden, hurricane force winds. 14 days. Look what the Bible says there, if you would, at verse number 18. Look what it says. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, and the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out our own hands, the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope, listen, that we should be saved was taken what? Away. Think of that, brethren, as they're out in the ocean, out in this Eurocline, knowing exactly what's going to happen. One of two things. But for sure, all of our hope of being saved is gone. Look there, if you would, at verse 27. Look what we, he gives us more information. But when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down the Adria, the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they were drew near to some country and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. Then we had gone a little farther, they sounded again and it found it 15 fathoms. Look at verse 29. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon the rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for day. Now, brethren, listen. If you look that word wish there, it's not, it doesn't mean, oh, I wish this would happen or I wish this would happen. That word literally comes from the word pray. Literally, they prayed that day would come. The idea here, though, is the length of how long they've been being tossed up and down the Adriatic Sea. Fort days and nights they've seen nothing no stars no sun no nothing just a stunning incredible place to be a ship that they can't control is completely out of control being driven by this Eurocliden and again it just really brings us to the idea of their utter trust their utter need of the Lord to trust in what he's doing because look what Luke does he introduces us here to another but See, there's two buts in our text, and that's always a good thing, amen? But uh, the storm comes. Look there at verse number uh, 20, uh, 21, if you would. Look what the Bible says. But after a long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. Hey, brethren, listen, you're probably not like me. I don't know if you've ever ignored godly counsel before. I, I mean, I know I have. Okay, I'm just saying me. And brethren, it wasn't good. Amen? It's never good. Although God, and we're going to see this word but here, shows that men can make some really bad decisions and that the sovereignty of God and His preventer, He takes them through there with a little pain. You ever had a little pain? Yeah, there's, there's a little pain that comes with it when you don't hearken to godly counsel. He brings you through it, but it hurts. There's a lot of if you will, pain that comes along with it. And this is really what we see here as we continue to read our text there. Our brother Luke does indeed introduce us to the second but in our text. This but, brethren, shines forth the biblical truth that even though, as I said, the crew disregarded Paul's counsel, and it appears in man's economy that all hope of being saved is lost. That, that's what they're saying. There's no hope for us. None whatsoever. There's still this thing. The Lord Jesus Christ's word. His holy vow that he has made. His oath that he made to Paul some time back. As we've seen all through his, his uh, if you will, he's arrested and all these things. This vow is what's in the background. The promise. Jesus Christ's holy word to him. And we saw in Bible study this morning how important it is just to believe and say, I believe it because God said it. That is a blessing, brethren. 
Can I just say this? I don't want to get sidetracked, but sometimes I do. This is something, brethren, that uh, we, we again talked about and have talked about. I have been blessed, and it is a gift of God. And I pray you have been blessed as well. That when you look at the word of God, you will just say, I believe what God said. See, this is where trouble begins. When you begin to say, well, I believe part of what God said, but I'm not going to believe all of what God said. And I say to you, and I confess to you this morning, there are many things in Scripture I do not understand. But you know what? God has blessed me with the gift of looking at it and going, I don't understand it, but I believe it. Because God said it. That's the idea, brethren. The idea that we're going to see here is Paul trusting completely and totally in what God has said. And if we don't have that, we have nothing. You have me and you have other men who cannot keep their word. Men and other people who sometimes will lie to you. God will never lie to you. Never. His promises are true. And they always are and they always will be. But again, we we see this here. The Lord Jesus Christ's word, his holy vow, his oath, that Paul would preach the gospel in Rome will not and cannot be impeded, cannot be hindered, and will never be stopped. That is a glorious thing. In fact, look what Paul does in verse 22. Again, we've looked at this phrase, be of good cheer, but I want you to see here again as we draw in and we see Paul stands up and says, you should have listened to me. Uh, I gave you some counsel, but now we're going to lose some ship stuff. But here's the Lord came to me by way of a messenger, and he spoke some things to me. And I believe what he said. Not the angel, because Paul directly ties it to what God said. What God said through the angel. Amen? Look there, if you would, at verse 22. He says, And now I exhort you, To be of good cheer. There shall not be, listen, there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. So in other words, Paul is boldly standing up and saying, you know, this, this bad choice, this decision that you guys made against better judgment. Yeah, every life is going to be spared because an angel of God stood before me tonight. And this is connected to what? This is vision number two. And what is the driving force of where he's going? Vision number one. Again, the promised word of God, his oath, those things that he said. And look there, if you would, what Paul says in verse 25. And brethren, this is a good place for all of us to be. This is not in here just for any little reason. This should be an encouragement to you. This is an encouragement to me as I've studied this out. Again, the gift of saying, I believe God. Now we notice, before I get to the text here, we notice I want you to see a word that that is not in there. Paul does not say, I believe in God. You know, demons in hell believe in God. You know what they don't believe? What God said. That's what we see here. I believe, well, we believe in God, but in a saving sense, devils don't. But we don't see that here in this text. Look what it says. Wherefore, sirs, here he says it again, be of good cheer, for I what? I believe God. I believe it. I trust in everything that he said through this angel, that it shall be even as it was told me. Now, brethren, I want you to consider something. Again, as we look at this dire situation that they're in. And, brethren, I don't know what your situation might be. Who knows what our situation will be tomorrow? I'm very comfortable today. I'm feeling well today. Uh, My wife has well fed me. Uh, I live a very comfortable life. But that could change tomorrow. So tomorrow will I say, if the circumstances become such, will I say, I believe God? Amen? This is the question. I believe God. I believe what he has said. In fact, when you look at the promises of God in the Bible, now, many of you heard there's 30,000 promises in the Bible of God. There's not. 
Stop quoting that. People quote that all the time. There's only 31,101 verses in the Bible, okay? Not, I'm not derailing that. I'm just saying, when you carefully study it out, there's really only, if you consider it, in fact, I, I'm going to give credit to Dr. Storms here because he literally spent years, verse by verse by verse by verse, and saying, there's a promise, and there's God keeping it, Amen. So there's about 8,100 promises in the Bible total. However, there are 7,487 promises from God to man. That is, God telling man, I promise you I'm going to do this. That's about 85% of the promises that we find in Scripture. God makes a promise. Can you imagine, brethren, for just a moment? Think about, and again, I don't want to get sidetracked, but I think of, I think of Bible verses. Whosoever will, whosoever will, whosoever will come, whosoever will drink without price, whoever will do these things, the whosoevers, when they come to Christ, are they going to be saved? Yes. God promised that whosoever will come will be saved. Can you imagine as a preacher of the word of God, as someone who's standing out on the street corner preaching to a lost person and saying, here's what God says, but I'm not sure if he really means it. It cannot be, brethren. You've got to look at the word and go, I believe it because God said it. His promises. 7,400, let me get that number right, and 87 promises that God made directly to men. Now there's some other ones, men making, you know, men making promises to men. Even Satan, the lying devil, makes a couple promises in Scripture which he can't keep, but he's there. So when you consider this, 85% of the Scriptures, of the promises mentioned there, it is God making a promise to men. It is quite a glorious thing. In fact, look what Paul says in verse 23. He says, be of good cheer. There's not going to be a life lost among us. Look at verse 23. Why did he believe this? For he there stood by me this night, the angel of God. Now listen, brethren. There's an angel of God that shows up, and I want you to see how Paul here brings out God's ownership of him. His ownership, and also his, somebody mentioned it this morning during Bible study, and also his doulos, his position before God. Do you understand what that means? He's in this thing that's going on, whirling all around him. And he says, an angel of God appeared to me tonight. And listen to what he says. Whose I am. That is Paul acknowledging that he is a purchased possession of God. This is who I am. A purchased possession of God. Not only that, he again shows us here his, if you will, his, his, his role in all of this. God purchased him and he says, and whom I serve. I am a doulos. I was purchased by Christ. I am a servant of God. This is what I am. This is who I am. And he brings this very clearly before them. Now look at verse number 24. Listen. He understands it totally. Saying, fear not. Now, brethren, if you go sometime, just do this. Get out your little phone, like I do sometimes when you're looking up a word or a phrase, in scripture. And just type in there the phrase fear not. It is stunning what you're going to see. This angel, this messenger of God brings Paul good news. Do you remember when the angel showed up to talk to Mary about what's taking place? Do you remember he shows up? What's the first thing he says? Mary, fear not. For I bring you good tidings of glad joy. Same thing here, a messenger of God comes to Paul and he says, hey, I know it looks kind of bleak, kind of nasty, but fear not, Paul. Fear not. Look that up sometime. You'll be stunned. And by the way, it's always when an angel appears. See, there's a difference when you, like this morning, we were talking about believing in the word of God. When you believe the word of God, you cannot have a pastor stand up and say, yeah, my angel Emma, she was talking to me. You know why you can't do that? Because there's no such thing as a female angel in Scripture anywhere. But if you don't hold to Scripture, you can make up whatever you want. It's always he and him. It's males. They come and they're bearing, they're bearing good news. This is literally what this angel does. He bears good news to Paul. Think of this for a moment. Look at here what he says. 
saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Now listen, brethren. The angel tells him that. But I want you to see even in more detail. Again, brethren, this is why I walk away from these texts and I go, yeah, no matter what happens. The Lord God is watching over his children. Every aspect, every minute detail, everything. Isn't that good news, brethren? So as a buddy of mine used to say, yeah, Mike, he, he don't like to fall downstairs because when he falls downstairs, he just gets up and he says, well, I'm glad that's over with because God ordained me to fall, right? I mean, they, so that's how they mock God. You shouldn't mock God ever in those kinds of things. But every detail, brother, everything, everything that happens in our earthly time is filtered and lovingly through the hands of Almighty God. Amen? Look at there in verse 34. Look at the minute detail. Not only is every man going to be saved, every man is going to be saved. But look at what he says there in verse 34. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair. Do you see that there? Do you see the intricacies of that? God himself. Remember what he says about his children? He, he counts the number of your hair. Now, some of us have more than others. But he counts every hair. That's how intricately he is involved in one's life every second of the day and of the year. Even down to, hey, listen, he says, For this is your health, for there shall not be an hair from the head of any of you. What an amazing thing to consider. Again, the gloriousness of God's loving care, even down to the minutest detail. Brethren, it is stunning to me. It's, it's like I always say, this stuff never gets old to me. I pray it doesn't to you. I pray that as we study this stuff and we learn this stuff together, it's like, yes, all it does is strengthen us, brethren, in trusting in what God is doing. Because we have issues with that. Well, okay, let me just say this. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Sometimes we have issues with this stuff. And we must indeed bend our knee, as the weather does, as the winds and the seas do. Bend our knees to he who alone is sovereignly doing what's best for you, better than you can do for yourself. It's stunning, isn't it, when you think about that? In fact, I like what Spurgeon said. Listen, brethren, carefully. Please listen. May God give to each of us this kind of faith, this kind of trust, this kind of belief. I believe God. I believe what he says. Spurgeon said this. Paul believed God. I would to God that all Christians were prepared to throw down the gauntlet and to come out straight. And then he says this. For if God be not true, brethren, let us not pretend to trust in him. Let us not pretend. Let us say holy, like Paul is saying, I believe God. I believe, even though it looks, it looks like it's bleak and dark, and yet... We have God who has now given us two buts in our text. And you think of the other buts for a moment, right? We were dead in our sins and trespasses without any, help, without any hope, any help, anything, brethren. You know what God told us? But God who is rich in mercy. He saved you anyway. That but is a most interesting and needful word for us to understand. No matter what's happening, you can say, but God. Yeah, but God. But God. And this is really what Luke is recording for us, these glorious things. If God be true, brethren, let us not pretend like we trust him. Okay? Let's just ask him to give us this kind of trust, that no matter what, no matter what it looks like, God himself is working out our best for us. And, brethren, never forget, 
and his glory. Amen? That's always center of everything, his glory. Now look at here as we kind of bring this portion to a close, if you will. Look at verse 26. Look what the Bible says. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the 14th night, I'm going to read just the rest of it here, was come, as we were driven up and down the Adria, the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. And they sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again in 15 fathoms. And fearing lest we should have fallen upon the rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. They prayed that day would come, that daylight would come. Now, brethren, we notice here, don't we, that the angel of the Lord did not reveal to Paul the name of the island on which they will run aground. We learn later here in the text, next week, Lord willing, we will learn that it was Malta, but they had no idea. The angel never revealed it to him. However, for the second time in our text, brethren, there's this other word. There's the three-word but that we see, and there's another word must that we see twice in the text. A three-letter word and a four-letter word, must. Verse 24, look what he says there. The second time, this is the first time, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. In other words, Paul, there's no other option. There's no other way. This is my way. This is the way that we're going to, that I'm going to work this out. And he says here, too, there is a must. You must be cast upon a certain island. In other words, there's no other option, Paul. I'm sending you here to this island. And it's an amazing thing that happens when they get to the island. Again, all of God's glorious handiwork being worked out for Paul's good. Even though they made, and not Paul, but the ship, the crew, all of them made this horrible, ill, if you will, fated decision. And yet God, sovereign God, still working through that, brings it to his best ends. It's stunningly amazing to me. If you're not amazed, I'm amazed at how little you are amazed at it. Because it is stunning, brother. It is something that's being lost. God. The centrality of God working. The centrality of God moving and doing what God does. We are so stinking man-centered. We are so stinking Americanized. We don't even be, we can't begin to understand how Paul viewed this. But may God grant that to us. May he give it on to us. May we understand what Paul is really wrestling and grappling with. And the comfort that he is in. In fact, Luke loved this word. I want you to see this. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Turn to Acts chapter 4 with me if you would. We see it here twice in our text. But again, keeping in mind, there's no other alternative. There's no other way. That's what that word must means. And again, Luke liked this word. Now, we live, as we've talked about before, in a most pluralistic society don't we? Right? Somebody asked me this morning about the chosen. I will tell you right now, you better run as fast as you can from it. It's backed by the Mormons and the Catholics. The money, all of it's backed by them, okay? You got to run. In fact, Dean and I were talking. They say things in it right out of the Mormon handbook. And people sit there. Oh, it's such a great movie. It's not a great movie, brethren. You know why? Because it's ecumenical. They are trying again so subtly. You know, Pastor Mike's crazy. He's insane. No, I'm not. Because we see it all the time. Come on in. Your God is just as good as my God. No, he's not. You know what Paul wrote, don't you? Second Corinthians. They have another spirit. They have another Jesus. They have another gospel. It is not the same. And brethren, that's why I, 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 I said to the, to the one that asked me about it, Again, same, they were on the same exact plane as me. 
She said, I knew you were going to say that, Pastor. <laughs> they just know how narrow-minded I am. No, actually, how biblical we have to be. Because that's how it starts. As I said to the men, that river flows pretty slow to start with. Ooh, hey, let's dip our toes in there. Let's go ahead and just get along with them all. Let's promote this thing. And when we get down to the guts of it, when you understand what it really is, a true Christian should run as fast as they can. And yet there's not enough discernment in the churches today to even have the pastor say, don't be around that. You want to be around something real? I got an idea. Let's open our Bibles together. There's nothing wrong with watching movies. But when you're getting your theology from them, hold on to your, your, te- your coattails. Because it won't be long and you'll be sucking down the river with the rest of them. That's why old Mike, you know, he just seems like he's so uptight. He's so uptight about it. Paul's uptight about it. Because he said this. Acts chapter 4, look at verse number 12. Again, brethren, the word must. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we, what? Must be saved. There's no other alternative. There's no other way. Jesus Christ is the way, right? The truth and the life. That's very uptightedness. That's very narrow-mindedness. That's very, very specific. And brethren, this is what we must be. Because again, as the churches get into the water and, and, and kind of slide down the river with them, you don't want to be there, and neither do I. I want to be found as best as it with, is within us to be found faithful ministers of the word, to be found faithful in what God says. And how do we know what he says, Howard? Here. It's written here. This is how we know. It's the only way we know. You get outside of that, and man's imagination runs amok. In fact, again, i got to finish, but <clears throat> I saw a report this week where one of the, well, we, we know what this is, one of the Anglican priests is upset because that term, our father, in the Bible is so offensive. Our father, that prayer, you know, disciples are supposed to pray. It's our father. It's so offensive to people. That's where it goes. You, you say, no, Mike. Yes, that's where it goes. It's, it's like a drug addict. You know, uh, just an illustration, a truthful illustration of what happened. A young man ends up standing before a judge. And he had robbed someone by gunpoint, okay? And his mom stood up to speak for him in front of the judge. <laughs> and she says, Judge, I just, it's just, you know, it's just, I, I can't believe, I mean, it's just, he's such a nice boy. He's, you know, he's never been in trouble and all that. And the judge stopped her. A judge with some common sense. He looked at her and said, Ma'am, your son did not go from, you know, watching Elf on TV to robbing banks overnight. It is a slow burn, brethren. It is slow. And we must be ever vigilant. I know, there he goes. No, brethren, you have no idea the deceptiveness of the devil himself and how he can move you. You can suddenly say that Jim Caviezel, and the, what was that thing called again? Uh, Caviezel, that was the first one. Uh, I lost it. The Passion. Oh, they're all flocked to the passion. Meanwhile, in the movie, there's unbiblical thing after unbiblical thing after unbiblical thing being said. And there's all the evangelicals. Oh, isn't this beautiful? No, it's not beautiful. That's another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. We must be ever vigilant, brothers. Ever vigilant. Against. Now, let me close here with a practical point. Let us consider, brethren, for a moment the categories, just a few categories, if you will, of God's promises for us who are indeed his purchased possession and his servants. I just want you to think for a moment. There's, again, 4,781 of them. But I want you to consider for a moment God's promises of salvation. 
That, that's first and foremost, amen? Over and over again we see that. God's promises of his faithfulness. Never forget God's faithfulness. He is a faithful God and a right God and a true God. As I said last week, or was it Wednesday night? It was Wednesday night. Will not the king of all the earth do right? Yes, he will. God's promises of his goodness. God's promises of his constant care for you and I and comfort. God's promises in our trials. Go look it up. James, they're everywhere. God's promises in our trials. To be with you there. And to be with me there. God's promises of our protection. One of the things we know as we're getting towards the end of the book of Acts is that Paul does indeed arrive in Rome. What happens to him in Rome? What happens while he's there? His life is taken. Although, brothers, you have to consider this. All along the way, until God is done with him, he will breathe every breath. He will do exactly what God has called him to do because God promised him that that would happen. Reformer John Craig, let me just close, who was arrested during the Inquisition. On the eve of his scheduled execution, he escaped. And while fleeing through the Italian backcountry, he ran out of food and money while he was fleeing. And suddenly a dog approached him with a purse in his mouth. Now, I know you people think this is crazy, but again, this is God caring for his purchased possessions. And he literally tried to shoo the dog. He's running. He's, get out of here. I'm trying to hide from my pursuers. And the dog wouldn't go away. And finally, he took the purse out of the dog's mouth. And he opened it. And you know what was in there? Money that got him the rest of the way out of the country. That's not an accident. That's not voodoo. That's God caring for his elect. Let me give you another one. Another reformer. Robert Bruce of Scotland, who also was running for his life, fleeing his per persecutors, he ducked into a small cave. Stunning, brethren. This is recorded history. This is actual truth. This happened. This is not voodoo stuff. This is God taking care of his prized possessions. A spider immediately appeared and spun a web over the hole of the cave. <laughs> oh, Shazam! It's like old Hillary Clinton. Oh, Shazam! There the records are. No, the spider comes out, spins a web over the hole. His pursuers go up to the cave, and one man started going into the cave, and his buddy said, come on. If he was in there, I guarantee you he'd erect that spider web going in. That's not an accident, brethren. This stuff is real. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a cessationist when it comes to the apostolic gifts, but if God chooses to do that, he can do that all day long. He just did it to Paul. He just did it to the 276 men who were going to get on the island with nary a hair removed. It's amazing. In fact, Bruce later prayed this prayer. Oh God, I thank thee that in the tiny bowels of a spider, you can place for me a shelter there. Think of that, brother. Ooh, my hair. It just makes you stand up on end. Now, listen, brethren. You're familiar with George Mueller? Go read about George Mueller. Go read about these great uh, men who trusted wholly, completely, and totally in God. Remember? And i got to close. His helper, Mueller's helper, comes. they got 350 kids in the orphanage. The helper comes and goes, we have no milk, none. Mueller, the Lord, no. I can't remember the prayer exactly. Levi could, and Seth could probably get up here and quote it. Lord, uh, we, 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 need some, we need some milk. And he, he tells the helper, the Lord will provide. <laughs> Opens the door. Hello. Yeah, hey, um, our milk cart broke down right here in front of the orphanage. Do you need some milk? That's real, brethren. That's real stuff. This is what God does. He does indeed. Is it going to be easy sometimes? Is it going to be easy for us to go through these, if you will, these storms of life? He never promised it was going to be easy. But you know what he promised, brethren? That he would be faithful to you through it all.
And this is what we must glean. This is what we must understand as we get towards the end of the book of Acts. It's really amazing to see God's faithfulness, his goodness to his purchased possessions, to those to whom he calls his very peculiar possession. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for its never-ending, powerful use in the life of the believer. Father, we, we see what you're doing here in the life of Paul, and we can only imagine. It, 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 you think about Christians who are a little older. I, I was telling Wendy this not too long ago. I remember when the Lord first saved me and somebody would get up and give their testimony who'd been saved for a long time and they could look back and see how faithful God was all along the way, down through the valleys, up through the hills, and God was always faithful there. And I used to think, man, I pray I can speak such a way about God. And now some 35 years later, oh yes, We can all look back. We can see God in his faithfulness. Whether it be much tragedy in our joys, in our trials, in our happiness, in our times of good cheer, there is our faithful God who promised that he would be. And Father, we believe you We believe your word. We believe what you said. Father, help us to grow in that, to trust, to see how important it is as a true believer to faithfully and wholeheartedly and completely be sold out as a doulos to you. A servant, a slave who has been purchased and bought to whom we each belong. Father, we thank you now and love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen.